yeah, a big a big part of productivity really is the self reflection piece. Power to live more with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience. I'm Joe Dodds and I started this show back in 2016 to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean how they focus on productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience to enable them to do more of the stuff that they want to do and less of the stuff that they don't. After 241 shows I've taken a pause from doing new interviews to reshare previous interviews. They were too good to not revisit. So please do bear in mind that this podcast might refer to events from the past as current or in the future, but rest assured that the stories, tips and advice shared by my guests continues to be pure gold. Hello, my name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe is interviewing Graeme Alcott of Think Productive. Joe has wanted to get Graeme onto the show for ages, having read his Productivity Ninja book years ago and here he is. Graeme is an entrepreneur, author, speaker and podcaster. His books include the global bestseller How to Be a Productivity Ninja and most recently Work Fuel, the Productivity Ninja Guide to Nutrition, co-authored with Colette Hennigan. Graeme is the founder of Think Productive, one of the world's leading providers of personal productivity training consultancy, with offices in the UK, USA, Canada, Australia and the Netherlands. With a mission to revolutionise stuffy time management courses, Think Productive, launched in April 2009, has earned rave reviews from the likes of British Airways, the Cabinet Office, eBay, The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Barclays Commercial Bank for its practical at-desk coaching approach. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Graeme Alcott, founder of Think Productive. So welcome Graeme, great to have you with me. Hi, great to be here. I sort of revealed before we started that I am a bit of a super fan. I have bought your book or two of your books <laughs> and uh, very excited to be interviewing you. So uh, great to have you here. So t- tell us a bit about well, thank you. Um, what you do, um, who you are and, and where you do it. So um, we've already talked briefly before we started as to where you're situated currently. <laughs> so, yeah. On that. <laughs> so I'm currently in my shed in Brighton, which is so cool. the affectionately named shed. It's a, it's a sort of smart garden office place, but I, I always mm-hmm. call it the shed. Uh, but yeah, I, Brighton's where I live and where I do most of my work from and where I do my writing from and all of that sort of thing. Um, but my company is Think Productive. So we work across the UK and then also have offices in the US, Canada, Australia and Western Europe. So we're pretty global. And um, I guess what I do at the moment is I'm very focused on writing books and creating uh, workshop content. And then we have a whole team of people around the world who deliver that content into companies. So we've worked with Google and eBay and Barclays and American Express and, you know, just a, just a whole list of um of uh, big name companies, I guess, um, as well as working with, you know, governments, uh, local and national and charities and all kinds of organizations. And really the the vision um, and, and the kind of meat of what we do is about helping people to replace the stress of information overload with a much more uh, creative and productive 
uh, way of working that really leaves people with a lot of momentum and a lot of feelings of clarity and control. So mm. we do workshops called things like getting your inbox to zero. Uh, my main book is called How to Be a Productivity Ninja. So we have a couple of workshops that very much take that content into people in either very small kind of, you know, hour and a half chunks or whole day kind of chunks um, and other stuff about meetings and various other bits. So, yeah, the, the main sort of bulk of the work really is just helping people to get more control over their lives and uh, feel less busy and overwhelmed. Um, and even when you're overloaded, it's possible to not feel overwhelmed and it's possible to feel in control. So that's really the the main kind of meat of, of what we do as, as Think Productive. Mm. And what about where that's come from? Because everything I see of what you do is is um, sort of on the same wavelength as, as where I'm coming from, which seems mm. to be quite the sort of modern productivity, looking after yourself, having the energy, all that sort of stuff. And, yeah. you know, sort of 30 years ago when I was first in corporate, we were doing time management training. <laughs> and we yeah. don't really talk about it in those terms anymore. And obviously the world has changed massively in 30 years in terms of digital and sort of bombardment of, of information so so talk us through sort of why why and how you got to where you are now in terms of what you're delivering yeah I mean so on that time management point you know very early on in how to be a productivity ninja I say time management is dead and long live attention management and mm -hmm. you know really if you think about what's changed in the last 30 years it's all about really just the frequency of information. You know, actually, a lot of the way that we need to think about stuff is pretty much the same. It's just that we have a lot more distractions and there are a lot more competing priorities. Um, but really, a lot of the, the kind of core um, behaviours that are needed psychologically to get in control and have clarity are pretty much the same. So we talk a lot about attention management, how to manage distractions, um, how to manage, um, you know, obviously, email is a huge distraction. Our own thoughts are a huge distraction when when there's so many things going on it can be really easy to kind of go down the rabbit rabbit hole and um you know take ourselves away from the stuff that really matters and i use this phrase a lot in workshops which is making space for what matters and i think you know that's the important thing is is i you know in two ways firstly about how to make sure that those bigger priorities don't just sit on the to-do list week after week after week and you really make that space to to focus on the stuff that really adds value um, and then also just in terms of our thinking, you know, our, our, our thoughts can be so crowded by just the level of, of you know, different information inputs that kind of compete for our attention. And um, one of the things that I'm very big on is just the idea of creating space for thinking. And I feel like thinking is uh, one of the most underrated business practices. It's honestly, I think the superpower of business these days <laughs> is, you know, the people who really succeed are the ones who carve out the space to think and to think mm. deeply and to think reflectively and creatively and strategically and you know really a lot of what I'm focused on is how to get people to that place and how how to get people to a place where they don't feel guilty for taking time away to think when there's so many other things on the hamster wheel that they feel like they need to do. Mm, absolutely it's interesting lots of organizations as you know are looking at the whole concept of flexible working and people working from home and so on and that's quite hard for a lot of leaders because they're sort of used to being able to see people and, and see what they're doing and, and and people are less focused on sort of out, output and performance and they need to be because that's how you allow those things to happen isn't it but it's the same with the thinking piece isn't it that you know sitting some uh, sitting there watching somebody gaze out of the window for example <laughs> where they may be thinking yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't sort of feel very productive mm. when you know when you don't know any different yeah, I mean, um, so one of the Productivity Ninja characteristics is that we are 
human and not superhero and there's a couple of aspects of that so um, if you're a if you're a productivity ninja and you're doing all this stuff really well and you've got really great habits you'll often look like someone in the office who just has these special powers and just seems to be able to do all this amazing stuff but actually all of us you know however productive we are we're all human beings and human beings have so many biases and so many foibles and kind of weirdnesses about us that you know certain things like gazing out the window and doing really deep thinking are kind of frowned upon or they're seen as weird or they're seen as not the most productive thing and if you see someone tapping their keys really frantically then you feel like they're doing more work than someone who's really deeply thinking and actually French and Saunders where they just do that when they look like yes yeah yeah, yeah 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 exactly um <laughs> But, you know, you see that a lot where it's like the, the kind of um, the behaviors where what people are really thinking either consciously or subconsciously is quick, better look busy mm. um, are actually the opposite behaviors that you need to be really productive. Um, and you were asking me before about how it all came about. And, you know, really the origin story of Think Productive is um, it's half deliberate and half accident. Um, so the, the accident is I totally fell into it. I had got really geeky around this stuff um, for myself and was working on myself a lot in terms of how I developed productivity habits and you know, kind of really recognizing a need within me to do that and to just feel less overwhelmed. Um, and I had no intention of making a business out of it. It was more that I needed that to be able to survive in the other career that I had, which at the time was in, in leadership within charities. And then it just really occurred to me, I, I, I kind of fell into doing a couple of lunch and learn sessions for a couple of charities that I was working with and people were just blown away by what I was telling them. And I was just so dumbfounded by the reaction really that it was just like, wow, everybody needs this. <laughs> and then I started getting into corporates and into some government organizations and stuff and the reaction was the same. And it was like, huh, I thought I was the only person that didn't have this figured out. And actually it feels like everybody needs this right now. And so um, that was just over 10 years ago and um, I'm still here and still loving what I do, yeah. Hmm. And what about organisations and bringing this this training in? Is it something that because it feels like in the sort of sort of um, entrepreneurial space where people are more focused perhaps on personal development that it that it's been something that people have been talking about for for quite a while. But I, I also work in in corporate. I specialise in employee engagement in my other <laughs> other yeah, career. Yeah. Uh, and you know I'm not sure that this does get talked about as much as as it as it does you know in in the other side uh, if you like <laughs> of business uh, what's your experience um I'm, I'm not sure about that actually i think yes i think there are, there's there's definitely uh more of a an emphasis on personal development and an openness to that stuff in startup culture and in small organizations i think um, but i think often what happens in in the larger corporates i mean either we have um people who come to us from those organizations saying, hey, we've got a whole framework of stuff that we deliver to people. And one of those is, and usually they will use the dreaded words, time management, right? And we have to go, well, <laughs> it is time management, but it's really not time management. So like, that's always like a slightly awkward conversation that we have to have, but people get it, you know, once, once we start to explain it. Um, so that happens. The other thing that happens a lot is, you know, I think particularly over the last couple of years, we've seen this more, is people come to us and they say, hey, we've just done a staff survey and it turns out everyone's really stressed and feeling overwhelmed and we're gonna put in place a few things that we think will help and yours is one of them, right? So they'll put in place some of our kind of stuff. They'll also put in place 
you know, typically some mindfulness stuff, some nutrition stuff, like a whole bunch of other things. But we kind of fall into that bracket too, where it's mm-hmm. like someone's ra- you know, waving the flag and saying, help, you know, and that's often the, the sort of conversation starter. Um, and what's nice, you know, is that usually once people see the value of it, then it kind of sticks and it becomes kind of part of their, uh, you know, their regular uh, sort of training cycle or their workshop cycle and, and the word kind of spreads. So, you know, most of our, our, our business is, is repeat business these days, you know, and we've got a lot of very loyal clients who love what we do. Um, and then our aim, obviously, is as we grow is to uh, turn every new client into one of the one more of those repeat business clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it does fit quite well with the well-being sort of message in organisations, albeit different organisations have a different sort of perspective on on what that looks like. Uh, and the, the more progressive ones are looking, as you said, at things like nutrition. Although, although I always laugh when I say organisations who, who think they're going to do well-being and they give you free fruit every week and that's about all they manage. Yeah, <laughs> Perhaps yeah. less enlightened. But uh, but the, the, the bigger picture around nutrition is something that you've moved into and you've recently published a book um, around. And I, again, I think there are certain productivity type people who are very sort of keen to talk about nutrition and energy as well and then there's there's sort of other people who are, are less focused on that you're so focused on it you've written a book <laughs> so tell us a bit yes about um so again I could say this is another happy accident um in many ways but it's one they are accidents right but they're also where weird things happen to you and I think it, it's a bit like my attitude to the sort of you make your own luck thing right mm. which is that like yeah, you do make your own luck, but there's a skill to that too, which is just being open and like listening to those ideas and like recognizing sometimes where opportunity knocks the door quite softly. Um, So what happened there was I actually had a period of um, just having very low energy myself. Um, I was applying all my productivity ninja techniques. So, you know, there's in my mind, there's very little else I can do that will make me more productive. But yet still at three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoons, particularly later on in the week, I was just really slumping, you know, and I just had no energy and and really just didn't know what to do about that. I then also had a period um, a bit more serious than that where I actually had depression and was on happy pills for a bit and all of that, um, which thankfully I've, I've come through. Um, but, you know, during that time, I reached out to someone who I'd, I'd worked with a couple of times before on a couple of those corporate wellness days um, called Colette Hennigan. And Colette is a, a nutritionist. She's an absolute nutrition geek. She's got about three degrees in it. Um, she knows more about that stuff than, than anyone I know. And I reached out to her and I said, hey, I need you to coach me in this stuff. Um, and part of it was about, I wanna get that energy back and I wanna make sure that I don't sort of slump sort of later on in the day. Um, and part of it was just about general mental health and just saying, hey, like, tell me what's going to help me with stress and what's going to help me with just feeling happier. Um, so that was really the starting point. We had about three to six months where I would send Colette a photo of every single thing I was eating or drinking on WhatsApp. So I'd take a photo of it, send it on WhatsApp. And this was basically our coaching method. She'd never done it like this before. And she just said, hey, let's just try this. And it worked really well. So it made me more mindful of what I was eating. And also it gave her such a good snapshot and insight the whole time that she could send back little thoughts saying, hey, this is great, but like swap this for this or that's really good, but maybe a bit more protein. And just like just those simple little um, things, not to say throw your whole diet out and start again, but just more. What can you tweak? What what can you upgrade here that will really make a difference? And um, the results were pretty instant. Honestly, within about two weeks, I just felt so much better and I can 
honestly, honestly, honestly say I do not get 4 p.m. slump anymore. Like it's gone. Like it's totally gone. <laughs> um, so so that was the start point. And um, then we just got talking and my publisher at the same time was saying to me, we want to do a whole series of books called the Productivity Ninja Guide series. And what would you want to write about? And so we had a few other ideas. So we had one about meetings and one about email and various other ones. But the one that just really felt like the most pertinent to me was to write a book with Colette called Work Fuel and to really base it on how to eat to have the best energy and to have the best energy for productivity, but also to have the best energy for kind of happiness and energy in life too, right? It's mm. not just about, uh, you know, getting more output at work. It's about how to how to eat to really just feel like you're thriving. Yeah. Um, so that's Work Fuel. Um, I'm super proud of it. Uh, it came out a couple of months ago. Um, and honestly, some of the reviews and some of the the messages that I've been getting about it like it, it's just one of those things that it really feels like uh, people are adopting it and buying it for their friends and all of that and um, I'm just really excited about it it's um it, it's just been it's been a really interesting journey over the last couple of years with it but to have it out there in the world I'm, I'm just super proud yeah and I, I think the idea of it being about food being for fuel and about helping you to you know be energetic it must be a great message for people as opposed to it's about losing weight or just another diet or, or, or whatever. Absolutely, it's yeah. So it's deliberately not a diet book. Mm. Um, it's not a, uh, you know, gain muscle book. It's it's none of those things. Um, and I also think what we wanted to get away from was I think there are there are very many diets out there that are quite extreme for one reason or another so people talk about the ketosis ketosis diet and mm. um, people talk about um, fasting and, and, and sort of periods of fasting and um, lots of that stuff has ulterior motives around putting on muscle uh, mass or like getting a the best bikini body and all these things that I think are just a little bit alienating mm. and you know fine for those people and if that's what they want to achieve then great but I think you know what's really beautiful about what Colette does and what we put in the book is that most of it is just really common sense stuff and you know it's it, there's all the technical aspects in there about what particular foods are better than other particular foods and things to swap out and upgrade how to eat on the go how to have something nutritious when the only thing in the airport is mcdonald's you know li literally that there's even things you can do in that situation so yeah. you know the idea is to to really bring it to a place where it doesn't feel overwhelming we're not asking you to do a massive transformation of what you eat but with those simple little changes, you can just make a huge difference. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I've um, I've got a copy and uh, I haven't started reading it yet. It's my summer reading. Um, but cool. I just even just even the how to shop as a as a chapter heading um, really attracted me because I, I think a lot of these things you get all the sort of principles, uh, and then you know the next stage is the putting them into practice bit, and yes. you have to do that yourself. <laughs> so yeah, so there's a, a huge <laughs> absolutely, and so there was a huge. Um, part of the book not just that chapter so there's a chapter on how to shop um there's a whole thing and if, if people know my productivity ninja book you'll know one of the characteristics is ninja preparedness so there's a whole thing about how to be prepared um and there's stuff like how how to you know travel on the go uh what to eat on the go and there's also a whole thing at the end about how to build habits because mm. i think like you say you know a lot of people know uh, the information and then don't put it into practice. And there's that phrase, mm -hmm. knowledge is the ruby prize, right? So if you know stuff, but you've not implemented it, it's actually worse than not knowing it at all. Mm -hmm. So there's a big emphasis in, in the book on just how to actually make those habits stick. Um, yeah. Colette told me something really 
that, that really stuck with me when we were doing the coaching part, which was I'd sent her a really bad lunch because I was busy <laughs> and I was working from home. And I sent her some awful thing like toast with, I don't even remember what it was, you know, probably probably just like beans on toast or like just <laughs> something that was a bit like, huh. and she sent me back this beautiful, you know, something that you'd get in a cookbook or something with halloumi and salad and nuts and all this beautiful stuff. And I I sort of had my guard up and was being a bit grumpy about it. And I said, well, listen, I'm really busy. You know, I didn't have time. You know, and I was really in that sort of mindset with her. Yeah. And she just sent me back this lovely thing that just said, Graham, you eat well when you have good stuff in your fridge. Yeah. And I was like, ah. And I realized that it had taken her no longer to make that meal. Yes. And she was busy too, and she'd had a busy day. So there was really no excuse. But the thing that I was missing was the preparation and the idea that actually if you just stock your fridge, and not only stocking your fridge, but you can stock your cupboards as well. So, you know, things like uh, like you know, like tinned chickpeas, tinned mackerel, these kind of things have huge nutritional value and they'll keep in your cupboard for months, you know, packets of nuts, all this stuff. So yeah. it really is about just having that mindset around how to prepare for it, how to mm. shop for it. Uh, how to plan it a little bit and just like a tiny bit of planning planning actually just makes a huge difference to the whole week mm, definitely we were laughing at the weekend um that uh I, I don't buy i try not to buy things like crisps and stuff that's like really easy to pick out of the cupboard but isn't particularly mm, good for you yeah uh, and, and my husband and my daughter are always telling me there's no food in the house but as you've just said i have things like fish in the cupboard yeah, and yeah. nuts and things like that yeah, the trouble is i live next door to granny so uh my <laughs> so they just go there. she's now had instructions to lock her stuff away <laughs> because if, if they can't find her at home they just go next door <laughs> <laughs> but there's a really good reason for that. So one of the other things in the book is um, don't use up your willpower at home, right? So um, the, psych the psychologist Roy Baumeister, who has studied willpower, has, has basically come up with the thesis that willpower is a depleting resource. So it's a bit like decision fatigue. You know, the, the number of decisions that you make through the day, it gets harder and harder to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Likewise, if you're looking at chocolate 20 times a day, as you, if, if chocolate and biscuits are there every time you make a cup of tea, every time you wash up, every time you walk into the kitchen, you can only resist that stuff for so long before that resource just depletes, right? So if you can just make one really big decision once, which is not to put it in your house, then actually you save that willpower up and you have so much more of it for the rest of the day. And what that means is when you're out for dinner, have a dessert, right? So part of it also is not depriving yourself, um, but just being savvy about how you approach some of the structures around that, some of the decision-making around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, thank you. So what about uh, getting things done? Uh, how do you organize your life? Because you um, obviously are a productivity ninja. <laughs> You are the father of, of such course. things. <laughs> you obviously are busy uh, and you have lots going on. Uh, how do you manage your time? And that's, um, you know, where you go, well, you can't manage your time. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. So I can manage my attention. Um, <laughs> so the very short answer to that is I drink my own Kool-Aid. I follow my own rules. Um, and I think um, there's a couple of things around that that are really important to me. So one is having a really good up-to-date, what I call second brain. So that's basically a souped up to-do list. So it is all of my to-do list kind of actions, but it's also a list of all the projects that I need to do. It's a list of all the things where I'm waiting on somebody else to make the next move, but I still wanna kind of track it and care about it. And it's also a list of good ideas for the future and, and all of that too. So that all lives in one place. Um, I have a, an app that I use called Nosby for that. That's kind of my key yeah. app. Um, and so that, really is the structure and then 
in general terms, what I've sussed out for myself is that uh, if I, particularly if I'm writing or I'm, I'm, I'm in a kind of creative project of some of some kind, I do my best work around that in the mornings. So I tend to kind of operate on a kind of two parts to the day model, where the first part of the day is very much, you know, deep down in that create mode with as few distractions as possible. And then in the afternoon, I open it up a bit more to be much more collaborative. That's when I look at email. That's when I have my WhatsApp conversations with people. That's when I'm in meetings and so on and so forth. So we're recording this at basically two o'clock in the afternoon because uh, I just don't do meetings in the morning. I, I protect my mornings very religiously because that's, mm -hmm. for me, where I have my best attention. And it's funny because I also uh, understand myself and I do things in the afternoon like this, but I do that because I don't want to do this sort of thing at all in the mornings, not because I'm like more able to concentrate or anything, but because I'm just a bit rubbish in the mornings. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing, it's whatever works, right? Um, we've got yeah, a couple of yeah. uh, staff members at Think Productive who have a, a rule of no phone calls before 10 a.m. And it's mm -hmm. like, I just know I'm really groggy, like yeah. at half nine. Yeah. Guess yeah. what, you're probably not gonna make great business decisions if you're really groggy, so like, why not? And I think yeah. I we see this a lot in organizations as well. So on a really serious point, like when we go, go into organizations, um, one of the big missed opportunities, I think, within teams is to surface these kind of things. Yes. And, you know, how do you like to work? Personal preferences, like when you're at your best, uh, how to protect your attention, how you like to be communicated with. Those are things that often just never get time to be aired. And when mm -hmm. they are aired, it's really powerful. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that's, you know, the focus used to be very much about, well, this is how you can manage your time you know, using the old phrase, uh, and this is a process that you can use, and this is what you should use. And it was all very prescriptive, you know, 20 or so years ago. Yeah. And actually, mo you know, most people understand that everyone's different now, and the sort of uh, work that you're doing is is around that, isn't it? It's about helping people to identify what they're like and also what their colleagues are like in order that everyone can be working at the right times for them for them I guess it's not always easy in a team because you've got certain things and you know if you've got people like you and me trying to work together it'll, it'll <laughs> work well for meetings but not for concentrating time because we'll be concentrating at different times <laughs> yeah but you know I mean this is the beautiful thing is that if you've got people concentrating at different times then you've got people who can also answer the phone at different times and people yes. who can fill up the photocopier at different times or whatever the whatever the the other stuff that goes on in your yeah. office is right so yeah. I think usually once you start to put this together as a team then some really nice uh, plans usually emerge. Mm -hmm. So you've talked about Nosby as your uh, your second brain uh, what other tools and apps would you recommend there's probably tons so maybe top three or something <laughs> yeah well there are I mean also there are tons and also you don't need any right so, <laughs> yeah. like, um, so I'll give you another two um, I and this is a really boring mundane one but actually one that um, I just find so helpful is whatsapp voice so recording voice memos on whatsapp um, there's two or three of my team members who we we don't use email and we communicate almost 100% through WhatsApp voice. Mm. And what I love about it is you, it's so quick and simple to use. You don't have to type. But also, whereas with email, you don't get any kind of sense of tone. With WhatsApp voice, it's like, oh, I get, I get whether this is a big priority or not, even though nothing has been said around that. Just the tone of voice just tells you so much. And mm. um, so I, I just find that so helpful. It saves me so much time. 
Um, the other one is an app called Quality Time. And there are various other apps that do the same thing as this. So there's Quality Time, there's Off Time, there's one called Freedom. And what these apps are basically are uh, sort of tools that will block certain apps on your phone at certain times. So coming back to the attention management thing, um, for me, when I'm in the morning and I have what I call my proactive attention, I have that attention that is so valuable and I can I can apply it to the most difficult stuff that I have to do and the most creative stuff that I have to do. Like I want to treat myself like an absolute child in that moment, right? So <laughs> I don't have access to Instagram. I don't have access to Twitter. I don't have access to, um, well, I do have access to WhatsApp, but no notifications are coming in at that point. Uh, Google Chrome is not available. Um, the Microsoft Outlook app on my phone is not available, so I can't see emails. So it really forces me to focus just in on that Word document or just in on that podcasting or whatever the thing is that I'm creating in that moment or just the pen and pen and paper because um, I think you know when you when you really think about what's happening there is that we're, we're living in an attention crisis right now and what's happening is the smartest minds in the world are employed to work out how to grab more and more of our attention to make us buy stuff and that is the world that we're living in right now. Um, there was a, I heard a lovely thing the other, the, the other day, which, which was Gary Kasparov, the chess player, mm-hmm. um, saying that when he grew up in the 1970s, all the smartest people in school and all the smartest people in Russian universities, they all wanted to be astronauts and go into space. And when he goes back into schools now, all the smartest people in schools, they want to work for Google and Facebook mm-hmm. and drive ads at people's heads. And how sad is that, that basically, you know, the smartest people are doing pointless, pointless work. Mm. Um, so, you know, knowing that's the game and knowing that the smartest minds are against you and not just one smart mind, but all of them, right? <laughs> They're gonna win. So so the only way to deal with that is to treat yourself like a child, take yourself out of that game for those periods of times. And quality time allows me to do that. So I have uh, what's called scheduled breaks within there. Uh, so mine uh, kicks in at 6 a.m finishes at 1 p.m. And for that time, it's like living a little bit like a Buddhist monk. Um, And that for me is the, you know, biggest thing. Like if I if I look back at the end of a day and I know I've had a really good productive day, then one of the things that will always be true is that quality time was turned on on my phone on that day. Hmm. And the days where for some reason I don't turn it on or I switched off the other day and didn't forgot to turn it on. It hasn't kicked in. I can often look back and go, huh. I wasn't great today, um, and it's it's the absolute consistent factor. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting; it's so important to do that analysis as well in so many areas of our life, isn't it? To actually look at what's working and what isn't working, and do more of what is and less of what isn't. <laughs> For sure, yeah, yeah. A big a big part of productivity really is the self reflection piece. Um, yeah. One of the other things that I do a lot is um, uh, so I have this uh, thing called the weekly checklist, and the checklist is all the kind of nuts and bolts stuff like look back in your calendar two weeks and see if there was any actions that you missed look ahead three weeks what do we need to plan look project by project so it's all those kind of really simple things but the other really amazing thing about doing that checklist is it sort of puts you in reflection mode and it puts you in the mode where you are your own boss and so you look back and go how was my performance what happened what went wrong what went well you know and it really forces you to answer those questions so that's -hmm. another thing that I'd really recommend for people to do is have an hour and a half to two hours a week where uh, you give yourself permission to not do any work or not do any doing. But what you're doing is 
some very, very heavy, very deep thinking and prioritization around everything you're doing. And what you'll find is that one and a half to two hours uh, spending time just in deep thinking mode, it will save you so much time through the week. So never feel guilty about it. It saves you time. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned cutting off some of those sort of social tools and you did mention Twitter, but you've told me that you're taking a sabbatical from Twitter at the moment. Tell us more about that. Yeah. Um, so I realized that about three weeks ago, Twitter was just making me miserable. And I was pining for the days when because I was on Twitter very early. Mm -hmm. I think it was 2008, something like that. Um, I was a, a fairly early adopter of Twitter, which I'm not usually. I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite a late adopter usually. But Twitter was this really wonderful, loving, interesting cocktail party when it first uh, yeah. launched. And I think now it's an absolute cesspit of hate. Right? That's, a, <laughs> that's what I've come to see Twitter as. And I realized that every time I go on there, I'm just reading awful news. I'm reading awful opinions. I'm reading actual. And I think this is a really serious point actual racism um and actual discrimination and it's become kind of normalized and yeah you can report them but twitter should be doing a lot more to stop that stuff even being there yeah. uh, and i feel very strongly about that and i got to a point where i was like this not this is not serving me this is not helping me and also i don't want to serve or help it um so i've just come off so i've got a huge following on there and um i have a lot of people who the main way that I would communicate with them would be through Twitter. And of course, I'm going to miss some of those people if I don't, um, you know, transfer that relationship over to email or Instagram or something else. Mm. Um, but what I did is I just gave my assistant, I gave her my password. I just said, change it. And at some point I'll ask you and there'll be a very good reason why I need it back. But right now uh, I don't want to be there. And I've been off it for two or three weeks completely. Yeah. And do you know what? I just feel better. <laughs> so, and it was one of those things that I wouldn't have contemplated a while ago. I, I read um, uh, Cal Newport, who I'm a, I'm a yeah. big fan of and I've had on, on my podcast before as well, um, who wrote um, a book called Deep Work a few years ago. His new book is called Digital Minimalism. And one of his uh, exercises in the book is to basically take 30 days and just unsubscribe or remove yourself from everything. And then in 30 mm -hmm. days, you work out what you miss. Mm -hmm. And I just took inspiration from that. And I thought, I'm just going to do that with Twitter and see what happens. And I think I'm about three weeks in now. And I, for, for about the first four days, I found myself going onto my phone in the afternoons and, you know, sort of clicking Google Chrome to get into Twitter. Because I, I, I've never had the Twitter app on my phone. It's always been through Chrome. And like clicking Chrome and then being like, oh, it's not here anymore. <laughs> and just getting that kind of like addiction <laughs> withdrawal symptom thing. And that's yeah. gone now. And I just feel way better for it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it's um, it's definitely something that's uh, going to stick for a good while. Yeah, well, you called it a long sabbatical, and that was three yeah. weeks. So I thought, well, you know, <laughs> and uh, but it's it easy might for be them. permanent. I'm, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, and th there may be a time where I decide that there's a very good reason for me to go back. Yeah. And yeah. right now, I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's easy for for Cal Newport to um, say come off it all though, because he's not on, on any of it, is he, if I remember? <laughs> well, you know, but this is an inspiration is to me because I think, yeah, yeah, I think the main reason I've been on it for a long time is that you think in order to be successful, in order, you know, for me to be mm. successful, um, I want to get my books out to as many mm. people as possible. Um, Cal is not on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anything, and he sells a shed ton of books. Yeah. So yeah. in a way, mm. it's like, 
part of it for me is I use him as a bit of an inspiration because it's like, well, if he can do that, then so can I. Seth Godin's the same, right? So Seth Godin has, I think a, f- a few people have created like little um, Seth Godin tribute type accounts on Twitter, <laughs> so, but he's not on any of them, you know, mm-hmm. and he answers his, his own emails, but he, he doesn't really connect with people otherwise. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, he sells loads of books. So yeah. what yeah. that proves to me is there is a way of doing this stuff. There is no one solution. And there are a lot of kind of, social media gurus who make money out of telling you to do it the exact same way as them and all the rest of it. And uh, I think there are many, many ways to, uh, you know, to, to reach the same uh, sort of success point. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, I mean, things have changed. I, I was the same. I was on Twitter early and I, I was a social media specialist at one stage and uh, I just got so bored with it and fed up with it. And I was only thinking today, oh, maybe I should do more in my Facebook group and maybe I should swap all my what I'm doing things on my newsletter into my Facebook group and I'm thinking does anyone really want to know what I'm doing <laughs> I, mean, I mean I look back on my shares my shares are just people's articles that I find really interesting I hardly ever share anything about what I do so I'm not mm, very good at doing yeah. social media anymore but as you say you know 10 years ago it, there were some great relationships and great conversations and, and it was a different place it's it, it's it'll be interesting to see how it changes in the next 10 years because things will start to uh, unravel I think in different ways as well yeah so. and you know it's the same with Facebook right so I've been saying to people for a year or so Facebook is dying um, mm-hmm. and you know that was something that would have been un- unthinkable five years ago yes yeah. um, and I think Twitter may I think if they're not careful it'll go the same way mm-hmm. so other routes to people you mentioned you you have a podcast too tell us a bit about that yeah so my podcast is called Beyond Busy and it's a kind of uh, double meaning thing. So it's for people who feel like they're beyond busy. And it's also <laughs> how can we help you to get beyond that feeling of busy? And yeah. um, it's it's a passion project, really. And the idea is that I do sort of long form conversations with everybody from comedians to musicians to CEOs. Uh, just interviewed an opera director at the Royal Opera House and just a whole bunch of interesting people doing very different jobs and you know people who are really kind of I guess um, unified by the theme that they uh, are either really good at what they do or really love what they do or both Um, and the only thing I've learned from doing lots of long-form interviews with successful people is that humans are weird that's like my (laughs) only conclusion from the whole thing Um, but that's what makes it fascinating you know so what I'm just always really interested in kind of what motivates people, um, what scares people, what makes people tick. Um, I just think that's, for me, just like a really fascinating area. And the sort of the conceit of it really is like a triangle where you've got on one end of the triangle productivity. So I do talk to people about productivity because that's that's kind of my thing. Um, And on another end of the triangle is work life balance. So, you know, I think there's a tension there between people who are addicted to productivity and then have no work life balance. And, you know, if, if you're so focused on work-life balance maybe you don't have enough productivity and then really the sort of the top the top end of the triangle is happiness and success you know just small questions but uh (laughs) you know uh, how do you define happiness and success um and you know actually I think a huge part of the reason why I wanted to do that podcast um aside from the fact that I've got a book deal to write a book called Beyond Busy (laughs) which (laughs) which is going to be a long it's going to be a long project and I, I told them at the very beginning I, I want to really take my time with this and research it and you know this is a kind of five to ten year uh, project for me because it's really my book about the meaning of life and it's kind of very yeah, it feels very pressured to write about it 
but you know honestly i think that the the main reason for wanting to do that podcast was because i'm really fascinated by what i can learn from other people's answers i think i've been on kind of quite a journey myself with that stuff over the last few years um definitely recognizing um that i didn't have great work-life balance uh, particularly in my 20s and early 30s and i'm, I'm 40 now um and recognizing that um my my own sort of definitions around kind of happiness and success and values have definitely changed and shifted. Um, and just, yeah, I'm just fascinated by, by people. And, you know, yeah. I, I always find I come away from every, every single one of those one hour conversations with at least one absolute nugget that kind of stays with me for a long time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think yours for me was the bit about, and I can't even remember what the, I can never remember any of the quotes, the bit about knowledge and not applying it. What did you say? The booby prize. Oh, knowledge is the booby prize. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So last couple of questions then. Firstly, what do you do on those days where it all goes horribly wrong? <laughs> when you have a bad day or it doesn't work quite as it's supposed to how do you deal with that um I think when it all goes horribly wrong I give myself permission for that to be okay <laughs> right so um I'm I think I, I think some and I and do you know what that was never something that I could say um a few years ago Mm. um but we have the same thing in the office so I, I come back to that productivity ninja being human and not superhero thing I think product if productivity was about how do you program AI robots to be more productive it'd be the most boring subject to ever think about or write about but the fact that it's about humans and the fact that humans are weird and different and have all their failures and foibles and baggage and everything else um, that's what makes it fascinating and you know, for me, we've had instances where people in the Think Productive office have uh, done something wrong, something's gone wrong or something's failed or whatever. And my email back to them or my message back to them or what I say back to them if we're face to face is always like, congratulations, this is a reminder and proof that you're human. <laughs> and so yeah. for me, I just I don't care about it that much, <laughs> basically. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think it's. Um, there's always the things that you need to apologize to clients for, right? And and all that sort of thing. But actually, when you're just having a bad day or something goes wrong, um, you know, the great thing is the sun goes down and then the sun comes up again. And mm. um, I give myself permission to um, to write a clean slate and make tomorrow another day. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So last question then. What about those days where you get the chance to live more, which is what I talk about in terms of getting to do more of the things you want to do and less of the things mm. you feel you should do or you have to do, which is aligned with something you said earlier about your sort of outlook, but you just use different words for it. <laughs> so what's your, your what, what does living more feel like to you? What does that day look like? Yeah, I mean, when you first asked ask me that question, I think the, the my first um response was actually a non-work kind of thing um so I'll do that one in a minute but mm -hmm. I think in a work in a work sense I I think I figured out a few years ago like a series of of kind of values that really drive me so one is about kind of kindness and empathy I think are just and come back to that whole Twitter conversation like why is Twitter bad now it's because it's a place where there is no kindness and empathy anymore and that's mm. what that, that's what it used to be um, so I, I volunteer with a, a choir project um, for homeless people and um, that's on a Monday evening and Mondays always feel like I've, I've lived more just because I feel like I'm kind of embodying that kindness and empathy in such a big way. Um, and my other values are kind of ideas and innovation. So coming up with kind of ingenious solutions to problems is just what buzzes me. 
um, freedom. And then the other one, which is pretty obvious for given what I do around productivity is like, I just have a real problem with like waste and I just get a real buzz out of like anything that kind of increases efficiency or in like increases the way people uh, are able to use their resources in a better way. And that's just the yeah. thing that really kind of buzzes me. So like in a work sense, it's all down to like those four sets of values really. Mm. Um, but then the other thing about living more, um, so I'm a big fan of the Toronto Blue Jays baseball team. And I'm also a huge, huge, huge music fan and particularly jazz. And um, my sort of ideal day is either watching the Blue Jays in New York or Toronto and then either going to the Rex Jazz and Blues Bar in Toronto or Smalls uh, Jazz Club in New York. And I can usually time it a couple of times a year where there's like a baseball game in the daytime and then there's amazing music at night. And like for me, like those are the days that I really, um, I, you know, come away from just buzzed for weeks and weeks after a day like that. Brilliant. And I think you're probably the first person to actually describe an actual day. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to an ideal day so there you go it's all about being productive isn't it and, uh, <laughs> and all that stuff excellent thank you so much Graham. it's been great interviewing you thank you for joining me thank you so how can people find out more about you and connect with you yeah so a multitude of places um as i say i'm not really on twitter anymore <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. probably don't go there um but if you want to find me on instagram i'm just at graham alcott on instagram um and then um in terms of my work and finding out more, more about what we do. So my my company is called Think Productive. We run workshops around the world. Just go to thinkproductive.com. Um, I run a, a small number every year of uh, masterclass events in London. So if you're anywhere near London, go to grahamalcott.com forward slash masterclasses and you'll be able to buy tickets for those. And my podcast is Beyond Busy, uh, which you can just search on any podcast app and Spotify, but it's um, the website is getbeyondbusy.com if you want to kind of uh, trawl back through show notes and episodes and all that kind of thing. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Stop feeling stuck and overwhelmed. Join Power to Live More Calm membership today and make an investment in your future. The Power to Live More Calm membership is designed for coaches and consultants struggling with the pressures of running a home-based business. You get access to our supportive community, including weekly Zoom calls, accountability, learning materials teaching you online marketing, audience building, income generation, and all sorts of other things you need to run your home-based business with ease, along with materials like templates, checklists, and planners to keep you motivated, organised, and productive. To learn more about the Power to Live More Calm membership programme and apply, visit powertolivemore.com slash get calm. Use your power to live more.